Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film junkies. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. We are back with standalone programming. It's very exciting. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you guys know, if you like the show, please be sure to give us a rating, a comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. You can also follow the show on social media, Frankly I Love Movies on Facebook and Instagram, and Frankly underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. I'm very excited about this episode today because Tyler Harner is back after a long two-year uh, hiatus from the show doing your first standalone episode. How are you feeling today, bud? I'm feeling great. Uh, while it was fantastic to be on last time and we talked about a movie I hadn't seen but had a mm-hmm. really great experience with, I'm really excited to come back and talk about something that I have a lot of love in. I have yeah. some history with. But in yes, I'm really excited for this one. Thank you for having me back. Oh, man, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. No, I was I was going to mention that. I think it is really funny how it's one end of the spectrum to the other, like going into a movie completely blind, not knowing anything versus an episode on something that you've that you clearly have a lot of love and passion for. So I'm, I'm really excited for this because that's what this show is all about. Um, we're talking about train spotting today. Uh, Danny Boyle's uh, 1996 uh, British black comedy a drama film all about heroin addicts starring Ewan McGregor, uh, Ewan Bremen, Johnny Lee Miller, Kevin uh, McKidd, Robert Carlyle, and Kelly McDonald. Uh, it is, uh, it, it honestly is more famous than I thought it was like initially. I thought it was a bit more of like, I mean, it's obviously an independent film, but like it had like quite a bit of success be only being made for hundred uh, 1.5 million pounds and then made box office of $72 million dollars. And it was really successful, and you know it has garnered uh, its uh, its place in pop culture history, and I think is among you know one that a lot of people talk about in film schools. You know, I'm sure when both of us went to Ithaca, you know, there were a lot of mentions of this film. So I want to know where uh, where did your love for this movie start? Do you remember the first time you saw it? What is your relationship with the title? You know, I I didn't see it as early as I think I I wish I did. I wish I saw this. I think early. High school, I think that would have been a really good age. While it's a little risque for for you know uh, fifteen, sixteen, I guess. Yeah, I think that this would have just given me such an interesting creative edge. And not that I didn't. I mean, I just I discovered this four years later instead in freshman mm-hmm. year of college, which I I think was a little too late for this one. I mean, ninety six mm-hmm. is years two years older than I am, so I feel like I could have checked this out a little bit earlier, but. Um, I was, it was recommended to me. I definitely heard of it a lot and I always had a love for Ewan McGregor still do mm-hmm. guys, an amazing man. Obi-Wan yep. always will have a place in my heart. Um, but I, I'd seen the, the title of it. I'd seen the poster a lot. I think that was the most iconic thing for me before watching the movie is uh, like the, the orange like thing on the side, train spotting and the posters like sideways and you see Ewan McGregor in it. And I remember like, I used to see the poster and then I learned who McGregor was and then I would see the poster again. I'd be like, there's no way those are the same <laughs> guy because there's such a different look. And yeah, I, I think I also loved her. Something drew me to, to Spud's look on the poster. He's like leaning mm-hmm. forward and he's got these goofy looking glasses on. I don't even know if yeah. he ever actually wears in the movie, but 
I, I remember just seeing that poster a lot and uh, it was recommended to me a bunch by some people that I, I trusted with movies. Um, and, uh, you know, starting off college, I was getting lots of recommendations and I really wanted to explore more new things as opposed to just watching a lot of the things I love over and over, which I right. had done for a lot of and, you know, still tend to do sometimes. But I remember I just checked this one out alone in my dorm one day and I was mm-hmm. just, I just, I just put it on and I just went for it. And I, I remember it felt like it was like, 20 minutes i was like oh yeah it's over like oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. i mean from from just like the electric opening to the uh, there's like very few slow moments throughout you get there you, there are a couple breaks in between all the action and movement and stuff like that but it really just flies by and i just uh-huh. remember being just like shocked by so much just like yeah oh my god this is happening and mm-hmm. yeah so much of that just it's also, but it's also so creative with it. I mean, I want, I want to bring up the worst toilet in Scotland scene oh, as just yes. one of my favorite parts of the movie because oh, absolutely, it is absolutely revolting. But it's just this. It's it honestly feels like a little bit of like a like a sketch, like a, a sketch from a comedy show. You know, it's uh-huh. like he walks in and you see like a title drop, and yeah. he has to go through this gross thing. He has to dig in the toilet, and then he ends up just swimming in this yeah, ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's such an odd visual that. You wouldn't like, I don't know, like, how, how did that, how does that come about? And it's, but it's just, you, it burns into your brain. And I, while I definitely see a lot of smaller details on rewatches, it's like these iconic things that definitely stuck with me, whether it's that scene, the scene with Spud's sheets, Mm -hmm. um, the whole thing with the, um, the getting clean sequence. And of course the opening choose life monologue is is Mm -hmm. so iconic for me. Yeah. So those I remember stuck with me the first time I watched it. Um, and I, I took a break from it for a long time. I didn't see it again until I think actually that's not true because it was the year later. I watched it freshman year and then I watched it the year later to prepare for train spotting too. So it was a whole year in between, but I see. Mm -hmm. still, it's an interesting one to rewatch. Because it says, you know, it doesn't have that. I mean, I think you mentioned you said the word like electric, which I think is a great way to describe this movie because it's 90 minutes. It's clean cut. It just const- is constantly moving. Um, and but it is it is fun at a lot of points. But, you know, it's not like I mean, I'll probably compare Danny Boyle a lot to uh, Darren Aronofsky, but it's not like. Requiem for a Dream, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's oh, like the closest comparison, yeah. but it's still so different. Because they both, you know, implement this interesting kind of music video-like style uh, to the film. And, you know, both of their stories ramp up in very, you know, tension-heavy ways. But, you know, Requiem makes you feel just like you lose complete faith in humanity by the end of that movie, and you don't want it to return to it. And But this movie, you know, it... it is so intoxicating and it is like very much like a, uh, a ride to return to, which is very strange. And obviously, you know, led to a lot of people thinking that a lifestyle or, you know, drug addiction is being promoted, which we can talk about, you know, a little bit later. Um, this was actually my first full time watching it because I had funny enough, I had started watching it when I was, uh, like 15, 16, somewhere around there. And for whatever reason, I never finished it. Like I got halfway through it and I just didn't finish it. I don't know why. I don't know if that, have you ever had that happen where you start a movie and there's nothing really wrong with it, but then all of a sudden you just like stop and then you just forget you know, about it. I'll, I'll stop. I'll know if I don't want to watch a movie usually within the first couple of minutes, I'll just feel mm-hmm. it. That happened actually with me recently with Robert Pattinson's, I think it's called Cosmopolis. 
I didn't think it was bad or anything, but I was like Mm -hmm. two minutes in and I was like, this isn't the vibe I want right now. And I don't do that often, but I turn that Mm -hmm. off. But the only time that usually happens to me is if I'm, I'm watching something on my computer and it's late at night and I fall asleep halfway through. Then I, then I, yes, don't finish it all the time. I, I, next morning I usually try to go back as much Mm -hmm. as I can, but yeah, yeah. I, if I, if I'm halfway through, I really try to stick with it. Cause at that point Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I've invested, I'm already halfway. I need, I should finish it that way. I can just, you know, be done Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. And there wasn't anything wrong with it, but just for some reason, like I think timing and what was, I, I don't know, but it just, it just kind of happened. But I, I had heard about a lot of the things that were famous about the movie about, you know, the specifically the choose life opening and the, I had seen the toilet scene. Um, and those were really the only like two things I remembered about the movie going into it for this rewatch. So a lot of it felt so fresh to me and like it was the first time, you know, obviously specifically in the, in the second half of the film. Uh, but I mean, this movie is just dynamite. Like it's so, uh, it is like a, a, a ride. It is one that you're in immediately and it like just keeps going. But what I found most interesting about it is that it's not in the same vein as it. Cause it's obviously it's a drug movie, but it's not in the same vein as something like Goodfellas or Wolf of Wall Street or something where a feeling of intensity and entertainment has to be sustained for long stretches of time. You know, Wolf of Wall Street's three hours. Goodfellas is like two and a half. For large stretches of those movies, that's about the feeling of being on cocaine, you know? So you start the first act and you're having such a great time and then it kind of tapers off in the second and then in the third act, by the end of it, you feel just like absolute shit. Yep. With this one, though, it like throws you in and you are just like zooming and you're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's happening? These all these characters are coming at me. These like titles are popping on the screen. Iggy Pop's playing in the background. What's <laughs> happening? And then halfway through when you get to like the baby scene and then all the stuff that happens at the end with the change in quote unquote change in Ewan McGregor's character, then you're just like, OK, I need to I need to like compose myself to kind of like breathe and come down from that. It's such a. It's just such an interesting experience of a movie. And I think that's kind of one of the things that adds to its, you know, iconic status is because of how you're just like strapped in the entire time. And 90 minutes? Like what? Yes. <laughs> that's wild. I know. I, I honestly thought I thought it was longer, even though I remember it originally going by in a flash. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know it's it is so short and it it does so much in so little time and covers so many different bases. I, when I wrote my, my letterbox review of it again yesterday, I, I called it genreless because I honestly don't feel that there is a genre that you can put yeah. on. Black comedy actually is probably the, the closest thing, but again, it goes through so many other things. You get your romance, you get your crime, you get your, you know, um, I, obviously you're not getting sci- science fiction and stuff in there, but uh, it covers highs and lows of so many different mm-hmm. emotions and does tends to not stick to one thing at all like at one point it becomes yeah. a like a, a roommate comedy like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we yeah. literally uh-huh. switch over to to them just all living together and, and being jerks to each other and then you know 15 minutes before that we're seeing we're seeing a mother grieve over her dead baby it's like well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots yeah. of different things here it's so strange too because it does feel like it is obviously influenced by other movies that came out in the 90s because this is in 96 like i feel like it's like a direct influence of you know tarantino with reservoir dogs and pulp fiction or the fact that like you know characters are talking in pop culture you know there's tommy with all his videotapes and there's um uh sick boy with his 
you know, just constant discussions of Sean Connery. Yes, I, I, the, I thought that was so funny. I never caught that yeah. before, but he's always talking about something James Bond related, his Sean mm-hmm. Connery and the Bond girl yeah. stuff. And I, I just thought that's such an interesting character trait for him. He's yeah. just like, he's such a yeah. jerk and he does these things to spite Renton a lot of the time, but when he's his mind is rambling he's just always going to this one thing i don't know mm-hmm. yeah but what's cool is that this movie then became in and of itself its own influence you know because it isn't you're right it isn't one that can you can fit inside of a box of a single genre like yes it has its moments of great humor it has like some really tension heavy like the whole bar scene at the end like after they get the money is like has some really good tension in it oh, yeah. it has some pretty disturbing, almost like Lynchian surrealism in it with, you know, uh, Renton going through, you know, withdrawal. And then, you know, it has the romance, like you were saying. But it also, you know, has almost this like novellic quality to it because, you know, you mentioned the toilet scene. That feels like a chapter of a book. I mean, obviously yeah. this movie is, is based on uh, the uh, Irvine Welsh novel yes. of the same name. But you wouldn't necessarily think that... Uh, like there, there's very little plot and I don't mean that as a bad thing. Like they managed to kind of make this movie one that is a ride, but it's so, I, I, I like don't want to say episodic cause there are things that carry through, but like that, it feels like so disjointed in that way because you're first you're in the toilet and then like the next thing you're at, like, uh, uh, like a uh, Renton preparing for a job interview with yeah. uh, what's, what's the, what's the guy's name? The guy you mentioned. Uh, oh, sick boy. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, and uh, you know, then going to, you know, being at the bar and then going to a club, like it's all like you're being jo- like, it's you're yeah. being jostled around throughout this story without any with- real sense of s- structure that it's so weird that it actually works. You know, yes, like it's a very no. ambitious movie for doing like it does so much with so little. You know what I mean? I agree. And I actually I think episodic is is a good way to put it. Honestly, it does feel like chapters. I, I, I think mm-hmm. it, it honestly works that way. I think there's the overarching plot of trying to get clean and be a better person. And there's so many obstacles in the way that it always just falls onto another challenge and another mm-hmm. weird thing they have to do, you know, um, whether and like it's and then you have these mundane scenes where they're it's just like kind of while they are doing their things they like they kind of talk about their normal lives and it's like I'm thinking of that scene where they list all the drugs they they go and they're uh Renton and one of the other guys just walks into the old folks home and just grabs the pill yeah. bottles and they don't even and the tv mm-hmm. and they just like walk yeah. away and it's like these kind of slice of life little things of these druggy junky criminals that uh, and you get that thrown in there too along with their all their weird plans of doing strange things and it's mm-hmm. it's yeah it, it's weird that it works as well as it does i agree yeah with you. well i wanted i wanted to mention some of the critical reception you know based on your uh your description of the scene where they take the uh the tv and all the drugs from the yeah. old people which is admittedly very funny but also just like what the fuck yes. like uh <laughs> This movie received a, a lot of um, positive critical acclaim, like Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. Owen Gleiberman gave it a very good uh, review. Um, but there were obviously, you know, because of some of the, um, you know, the subject material, there was some controversy saying that this, uh, you know, is, being, is promoting a certain lifestyle and is like, you know, saying how 
good, you know, drug use and it's like romanticizing it. It's funny, even like uh, Bob Dole, when he was running for president in 1996, accused it of being morally depraved and glorifying drug use, even though he hadn't um, seen the movie, which I find, (laughs) uh, which again, I find interesting because, you know, I think the most famous scenes in this movie don't accentuate the point as well, I don't want to say as well, but as strongly as the uh, as the other scenes, because, you know, the choose life uh, opening is a good thesis because of to set the scene of what these the mindset of these guys are. Yeah, but because it's directed in a way that's so again, it is electric and moving. It is a fun sequence of watching these guys run in this kind of punk rock kind of setting. But that and the the toilet scene is admittedly very funny and almost dreamlike yes. but the the point of this is obviously to show that what these guys are going through is just like hell like no one want no one should be a part of this and yeah i can't imagine watching this and honestly thinking that it glorifies anything yeah like it, it do you see with the place that they were doing the drugs in? And does that look yeah. like a place you want to be in? I mean, yeah. just think of all the, look at, I mean, just think of, I love how they sh- not love, but I really enjoy how they at least have consequences in the form of Tommy. I mean, you have yeah, this yes. guy who's a, a good guy who's hanging out with the group, who has a girlfriend, he's sporty, he's athletic and you know, things go downhill and he ends up on the drugs and he ends up in this middle of nowhere apartment catch mm-hmm. it and yeah disgusting everything and it's just like how can you possibly imagine this is glorifying anything yeah it's, yeah it's really scary at times so it definitely is well also like just the fact that they then kind of flip the opening on its head halfway through and giving more context to what they're actually like running from and yes. then that leads into this other like side of the story of you know theft and just finding ways to meet them to make ends meet uh so yeah it's just it's incredibly strange to think uh that this because even in the beginning like yes it is so fun to watch like the first 30 minutes are just non-stop and obviously have some really good visual comedy but you definitely get the sense early on that these guys like the fact that renan is trying to quit you know, even he doesn't want to be a part of it, but he can't escape it. This is like they're they're trapped in a way. Um, and regardless of whether they're actually able to get clean and then Renton obviously gets a job in London and he can't escape his friends and just the like over prevailing, um, you know, there's a mo- they could fall backwards at any point. They could fall off the cliff. So there's always this like fear surrounding them. So it's it, you're right. I think it's a good description that it is at points like very scary and it is just very much like um, and adding humility to especially the character of Renton, which like uh, I'm sure someone could make like another criticism. Like, why are we giving, you know, humility to these guys doing terrible things and like, you know, uh, like what? But it's it's a story. It's a movie like, you know, we kind of have to add drama to that. And it works because when he goes through all of this, you know, you do feel for him. But where he ends up at the end, you're just kind of like, oh, shit, yeah. this isn't going to end, is it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I which, also, I mean, oh, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, which I mean, the ending is, you know, a whole conversation like in and of itself. But please make your make your point. Well, I was going to say, um, while it, it might not, they might not be the, obviously the most redeemable of characters. I think you do get your your bits of humanity in mm-hmm. Retin and Spud, which is. Yeah. 
obviously extremely well contrasted with, you know, Begbie and Sick Boy. Tommy's right. a little bit of, of a kind of a mixed bag when it comes because he starts off in like the, the nicer human zone and then he just becomes this uncaring junkie. And so yeah. he kind of doesn't fall quite in there, but Sick Boy and Begbie are like the scum of the earth. They are oh, yeah. purely off. Begbie more than Sick Boy, I'd say a little bit, but right. both are just horrible people that will do anything to get their own way. And Begbie's all, literally always looking to make someone bleed and feel pain. Like that is his mm-hmm. goal at every point. And it's it seems like, you know, when he's living with, with Renton and he's like, telling him to get the cigarettes and he's throwing the carton out and he's throwing bottles and mm-hmm. like i could you i can't imagine living like living with someone like that i would would drive me absolutely insane and it's just yeah. it's it's all the shit he does that makes you yeah. honestly look at at um renton in a, in a lighter in a, a better light you know you see him oh, for like, sure. at least he's not at least he's not this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I and, gonna, oh, go, sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. No, I was just going to move on. Please continue. I, one more. Th- I was also just going to, well, this is actually getting into the ending. So uh, maybe I should wait on it. Maybe I'll save, hold save for that. the ending. I'll, I'll hold off on that. Yeah, yeah. Right, we have, oh, there's a lot to kind of delve there into. There sure now, is. Which I'm very excited about. But um, before uh, we get into the critical stuff, I wanted to ask uh, that. So this movie garnered a sequel you know, many years later called T2 train spotting kind of ballsy to uh, yeah. call it T2, but uh, it came out in 2017, yep. 2016, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. 2017. Okay. Uh, and it is, you know, loosely based on the, um, the sequel novel porno, which was also written by uh, Irving Welsh. And uh, have you seen, the, you've seen the sequel. I yes? did. I've only seen it once. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was planning to watch it. Uh, in preparation for this, I did not get around to it. Mm-hmm. I have not seen it myself, but I just wanted to know, like, just some uh, base level thoughts on it. Like, what are some connections? Like, what is? How does it fit into I, the train spotting story? Don't remember as much as I I should. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I liked it. I remember enjoying it. I remember mm-hmm. thinking it's an interesting take. So many years later, on these characters. Um, and it kind of still carries over this choose life idea in a little bit more of a sarcastic and satirical tone. It mm-hmm. almost kind of goes not as far, but a little bit more closely towards the fight club route of yeah, capitalist nihilism and craziness, that kind of thing. But this one's a lot more dreamlike than the first one. Mm-hmm. Is. There's a lot of really interesting visual sequences. Ah, there's this great scene of, um spud sitting on a chair on a rooftop and he's just thinking and he falls backwards and they literally just like show him on the chair just like falling all the way down and he doesn't it's not like he's committing suicide or anything right, it's, right, just right. A, it's just a, a a visual thing but it's there's a lot of other things that are really cool i remember there being a really interesting club scene but there is an overarching plot to it it's them hiding from begbie as he hunts down rent to pay him uh, back see. to get you know get him back for what he did all those years ago stealing all the money um it's a little bit you know i i do want to watch it again now that we're talking about it because i honestly don't remember too much ewan mcgregor is fantastic in it of course i'll always mm-hmm. love him for most of he does um but it's not quite as quirky and i mean obviously it's not as indie because you know it was made with probably a much bigger budget and it doesn't mm-hmm. have that kind of 90s look to it It, it's filmed a lot better so i mean Mm -hmm. it doesn't quite have the feel it's still good though i think it still carries over the story and some of the characters well 
I definitely just need to see it again to get a better understanding of it all because it has been a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll have to add it to the list and uh, yeah, it's it worth out. a watch. And, Absolutely, mm-hmm. check it out. It definitely just seems kind of strange because, like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think this is the type of story to garner us or to get like a sequel. You know, yeah, I mean, no, obviously there was the novel so and like, but it's just a very strange, like, perfect, like, one thing. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's it doesn't set anything. Like, I guess like the way you're describing it, I could see what they're doing with the story, like where they go, um, but. I don't know. I like where they leave things. Personally. Yeah, no, that's it, it. Definitely didn't need one. It's it's mm-hmm. not as bad as you know uh, tons of other sequels that come out, right? However many years later, but for sure, um, for sure, yeah. I gotcha. Um, all right. Well, with that, let's uh, let's head into the critical breakdown because we got sure. a lot to talk about. So I want to start this off with uh, kind of talking about like one of the stars of the movie and he's not even in it. And that's Danny Boyle, who's the director of the film, because I think the visual style and the way that the narrative kind of unfolds, uh, you know, in this quick music video like style and this insane like drug induced pace is obviously like a lot of his vision and, you know, very famous uh, English director uh, who also did, you know, Shallow Grave, 28 Days Later, Sunshine, won the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire, was nominated oh, yeah. a lot for 127 Hours. One of my personal underrated favorites, Steve Jobs, is really great. We'll oh, definitely be doing that at some point. One. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's such an interesting director, honestly. Like, I, I it's going to be, again, it's going to be a bit hard for me to sometimes not compare him to Darren Aronofsky in I that, mean, yeah. like, I mean, I think Darren Aronofsky is like, I mean, he's like a top five favorite director for me. And I'm not going to do this like who's better kind of thing. But (laughs) I think because of the such rooted in this 90s kind of crazy camera movements, wide angles and playing with color and the kind of grime that they place their characters in, at least in, in the world sense. But what I find interesting about Danny Boyle is that he, as opposed to Aronofsky, and whether this is a a thing that makes him better or not is uh, open to interpretation. But Boyle is kind of a chameleon in that sense. Like Aronofsky found his style early with Pi and Requiem with visual, like not only just with visuals, but also uh, with certain aspects of violence and um, personal decay. But Boyle moves from genre to genre, you know, so like, Sunshine, 28 Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire, Steve Jobs, and Trainspotting. Those are all five very different movies. Oh, yeah. You know? And those are all like placed in completely different genres. Like 28 Days Later, which is one of my favorite horror movies of that decade. I love 28 Days Later. Um, Slumdog Millionaire is this ode to Bollywood, you know, and wins like a lot of is like a. Uh, a prestige drama in that way. I don't personally really like Slumdog Millionaire, but it obviously is like an achievement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sunshine is this Alex Garland written sci-fi sentimental. Did film Alex Steve Garland Jobs. write Sunshine? That makes a lot of sense. I, yeah, I, he, I like that movie. I knew Danny Boyle did it. I did not know Garland. Mm-hmm. Wrote it. <laughs> Garland wrote it. He also did uh, 28 Days Later. Garland wrote oh. that too. And, uh, and then Steve Jobs is a Sorkin three act biopic you know and it's it's very (laughs) like it's strange because sometimes you can see like certain camera angles that a director is interested in sometimes i'm not so sure that it's a danny boyle movie but at the same time those movies are extremely successful and uh 
you know, uh, accomplish what they want to do with style and with story? Like, what do you think makes him stand out? What is what is something about him that kind of grabs your attention? That's it's funny because I, you said he's a chameleon. And I honestly think that that works well, because if you showed me for the first time, you show me 28 days later and then you show me Steve Jobs and you're like, all right, they're the same director. I'd be like, how would how would I be able to tell that? Yeah. Honestly, I think I think that is a great word for it because he does blend into these genres, but does have a tendency to make them unique. You know, Twenty Eight mm-hmm. Days Later was a really cool thing of its own that brought this, you know, you know our oversaturated zombie genre to something that is significantly more iconic than. Mm-hmm. I mean, not more iconic, but it's it's right up there with your George A. a. Romero's there. R R, excuse me, George R Romero. Is that is it R? Is there an A? Is there? Just I, think George a, I think it's an A. I, I think it's George A Romero. George A Romero. George A Romero. Okay. Not George R R Martin. Joy, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm mixing them up. Um, I would say that 28 Days Later is is right among that that whole bunch of just mm-hmm. super iconic and different zombie movies, and you know they're those two are so different from each other. And then I mean, even yeah. you throw in things like his newer things, like you know 127 Hours or Yesterday. Mm-hmm. very different movies that you you don't quite i don't know i again i i would have to do a really close look to try to like find camera angles that match up and like things like that but i really can't find myself pulling some some smaller things from danny boyle because he really tends to just blend into a genre yeah. and make it his own I think there is an editing style that he tends to to go towards a little bit more. It's a little bit more quick. It's a little flashier without being like jarring though, but it does mm-hmm. definitely get jarring at some points. I remember yeah. there's one he did that's definitely a little bit more uh, uh, less well-known and it's called Trance with oh, yeah, James, with McAvoy, James McAvoy, Rosario mm-hmm. Dawson. There is some really interesting editing in that regarding like the art that um, they're dealing with. I mean, same mm-hmm. with Train Spotting and Train Spotting Two. It has a very clear visual style that I mean, those two obviously kind of fit together because um, they're in the same world. Well, I like that he does a lot with a little, you know. That's and a good point he works too. Well, he works well within the confines of a smaller budget. When he gets to these bigger budgets, like he takes, he makes some interesting decisions. Like particularly, and again, I love Steve Jobs. I, I'm so excited to talk about that whenever we do, but that is a much bigger scale of a movie and is traveling through, you know, many different locations and, you know, has a lot of dialogue, a lot of blocking, a lot of camera angles, a lot of longer takes, uh, a lot of character work. And, you know, it does kind of have his moments of Danny Boyle. Like there's this one shot early on where it does this like quick sweeping pan of like an exit sign. Uh, And I was like, yeah, that's, that's Danny Boyle (laughs) that I know. But like, I'm so used to him like doing, you know, like again, this and 28 days later of like lower budgets, less uh, good quality camera. You know, I mean, the camera work in train spotting looks really good, but it does have this grimy film. Yeah, it's like presence. grainy. Little, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But 28 days later is just like he threw a like a video camera down the stairs, essentially. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> and, it's, and it works. It works so well. I adore 28 days later, but it's uh, it is this kind of crazy, you know, clearly set in the 90s style specific obviously specifically for train spotting like the way that everyone like the the clothing the colors like very like uh contrasting colors but it's not mm-hmm. like saturated you know yeah it's uh just kind of gross and almost like um 
uh, like jaunty. Like everything looks like so kind of void of color, but also having like even the like the the club scenes, which are supposed to be, you know, this like radiant, like high, warm colors like flashing at you. You can't help but look at like Renton's like yellow face. You know, he just yeah. kind of has like this kind of gross, grimy look to him. And it's interesting that you can kind of meld. He can meld himself into that world. And also, again, just directing with it such speed and intensity and having so many choices like uses of freeze frame, uses of title cards, uses of subtitles in one yes. scene, you know, or uh, specific, obviously, like music choices to uh to affect the mood you know again that's very that is very 90s tarantino scorsese influence so it's perfect for that time period and it's just he's just throwing every idea that he has at the screen and it's so fascinating to watch in this movie does is he known for doing time lapses a bunch i don't i can't recall him doing it in other movies but there is this one scene um where they're at like bingo or something like that and the uh-huh. shot is just written at the at the end of the table in like a long booth, and the camera pans back as this time lapse goes on, and he's very still as everyone moves around him. Oh uh, yeah, uh-huh. I didn't know if that's a Danny Boyle thing or if that. I mean, it's a really good stylistic choice for the scene, obviously, because mm-hmm. it works really well for what's going on in Renton's head. I mean, speed of yeah. everything, and um, but I don't know if he's done that in other things too. I was I was thinking about that. That could be something that he maybe <laughs> there may be one in slumdog millionaire and i'm not 100 percent sure but i, mean, I, I do know there is. he uh i mean he definitely likes to play with time just mm-hmm. in in general like again you know steve jobs broken up into these three separate acts all of which are spanning like a certain amount of time like but in between each other especially in the second where um you know jeff daniels and Michael Fassbender kind of like going at it and it does all these flashbacks time before, but there's even like moments in this movie where like, you're not really sure how much time has passed or where they are, especially when, uh, Ren's going through withdrawal and then he's like, yeah, he's in bed and then he's like in the clinic and then he's in, you know, back talking to his parents and you know, how much time has passed is like, you know, obviously like just completely unknown or, uh, again, like I said, like jumping from certain scenes, like, all of a sudden it's the first day of the uh the uh the Edinburgh festival yeah. and they're just sitting at the bar and you're just like when does this happen like yeah, I don't know what reference was this like a month later is this yeah. uh, next year you, it could have been any distance yeah. of time you don't have any real frame of reference for when but you which it works because you don't really it it doesn't really matter yeah you exactly. also don't really have a good frame of reference for like where these guys are in their lives because yeah. i mean they kind of are in this limbo state of not having jobs not being a tr- attached to some school the only thing we know is that like once renton starts dating dating quote was seeing kelly mcdonald we just know that she's in school and he's like oh it's illegal like that's bad that's awful yes um but we don't have any other reference for where they are in their life like one of them may say like ad- adult life at one point i just have these sent the sense that begbie is older that's all I, I know. yeah i would agree with you there but i honestly go under this the suspicion that they've been this is just their life has for years like when they yeah. were teenagers this is probably the shit that they did mm-hmm. and they've just it's just continued it's it's their yeah. it's gonna be the same nothing's really gonna change and i think that's honestly what kind of brings the ending to a really good thing is it just does kind of ends and there is no ending it's just like this cycle sort of begins again in a sense but mm-hmm. um yeah I, I definitely agree with you with the the whole time thing i think i think it is really interesting that Oh, I was going to say with with Kelly McDonald's character, 
I mean, we see her after when he's yelling at her about we can't be together, and she goes, "If we don't, if you don't see me, I'll call the police." And mm-hmm. we don't see her for like thirty more minutes of the movie. Like yeah. she, she pops up near uh, the point where I think he's getting clean, and she's she's asking about him or something like that. And she yeah, she comes up to his department. Uh, Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, uh, is that is that hash? Yeah, <laughs> no, it sure, sure smells like. And it. it just just walks right in. It's just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're too too young for what? Yeah, yeah she's, then- <laughs> uh, While we're talking about her, let's let's talk about her. She's fantastic. I love Kelly McDonald. We we talked about her a little bit when we talked about um No Country for Old Men during the uh, off the shelf series, and it's funny to go from that movie to this movie because that you know she's putting on like a fantastic Southern accent and like nailing it and then hear her you know scottish brogue is just like so yeah it's really good it's really in her i mean this is like her debut and she's uh you know danny boyle wanted someone who was kind of an unknown actress because they wanted to be able to get away with shooting a 19 year old and saying that it's a 15 year old yeah (laughs) Uh, and and, and it and it definitely works like she i love the scene where she gets introduced and she calls renton on his shit and is like oh yeah you're probably like a bad boy and then yeah and then she leaves the door open for him too it's just she calls him out but she's like but that's exactly what i'm there for that's what she likes yeah for sure um and i she she does that great moment in the bar before that too where she the guy offers her the drink and she just pounds one pounds the other see it leaves out of there yeah (laughs) very great introduction to who she is as a person Mm -hmm. and then that you know great reveal of uh that she's wearing the school uniform yep. the next day, Great which was a, f- which was a favorite sequence of mine watching it this time, because I, I love how you clearly get a sense. I mean, the whole main group is a whole other discussion, but like the fact that they are always doing everything together, even if they're not at like actually in the same yeah. like, space together, they're going through the exact same things, like at the same time, yep. you know, so they're at the bar or they're having troubles with their relationships. And then they're going home with someone and having sex with somebody or, you know, Renton actually having sex and Tom or, uh, is it Tommy? Yeah, Tommy finding the trying to find the sex yes, tape. Yes, Tommy's and, trying to find the tape. And Spud is Spud's zooted out of his out. mind. Yeah, yeah. he's <laughs> gone. Uh, and then the next day, everyone then realizing, oh shit! Like, have again having that high of high and then the lowest of low yep. with you know Spud shitting the bed and uh, Renton then realizing like, oh. I'm with a teenager and her, and her parents, parents right now. Right now. <laughs> That's fucking wild. And you know, it, the, the harsh slap of reality hits all of them, like at the, all at, once, at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Which is again, great direction. And like, you know, balancing those stories really well and gathering that group dynamic is really awesome. Uh, I want to talk about the group because all of them are phenomenal. All oh, yeah. the acting is, is terrific. Uh, you know, I, you and Brem, uh, Bremner as, uh, as Spud, he's just like such a fuck up, but also like one of the more sympathetic ones, you know, because a lot of stuff that happens to him, he doesn't deserve. Like when he gets the, his hand cut. Oh yeah. is like really rough. He's uh, like the most he, aloof of them, but like he's, yeah. he's lovable. That's the kind of thing he doesn't really, he doesn't, he never does anything that's like Spud. Like what the heck, yeah. man? Like obviously he does some embarrassing things, but nothing mm-hmm. that's like yeah. evil or malicious. He he does have a good heart, but I mean he's, he's a, a little... <laughs> yeah. He's just he's just a, he's a fool. He's a essentially, pure fool. He's, he's he's just a total. He's the group goof. You know, that's essentially is what he is. But then you get someone, yeah, like Johnny Lee Miller uh, as um, Sick Boy. 
is really great because yeah, we, we said he's so steeped in, you know, pop culture specifically with James Bond and the womanizing aspect. I think that's, you know, the main reason why he idolizes him is because mm-hmm. of the, um, you know, just the overwhelming love of women and the, uh, the bond girl stereotype. And, you know, he starts off kind of playing it, uh, as kind of the wild, like the wild card of the group. Almost. He has this cool persona at first, but he's just like when they're just in the park, like with the BB gun, just like yeah. looking through the scope, he's just like, okay, this guy, well, what's going to happen with this guy? And then the, when he comes back in the second act or in the third act, you're just like, Get Oh no, this guy's going to, yeah. he is gone full. Like he's like just, um, uh, like a, a shade below Begbie. Yes, he's you know, not as aggressive, but he just he'll he does these things without caring what anyone thinks and just yeah. for his own benefit. So right, but has the same addiction to gain. Yep, you know, and wanting to keep like he doesn't want to change. He just wants to continually get the uh, resources that he needs in order to stay in the position that he's in, uh, which is you know. Uh, just again, another form of addiction, which is funny how or interesting how this, you know, movie also adds to the, um, the ideas of addiction. Like, you know, Ren has that point in the monologue early where he says like, you know, um, my mom's very healthy, socially acceptable form of addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, with taking, taking pills and whatnot. Um, but everyone has such a good like rapport with one another. And oh, like, yeah. obviously, but like, obviously, you know, Big P is like the crazy one, but like you can tell everyone knows each other. You can tell that everyone has, uh, you know, differing relationships with one another, depending on who's with who. Uh, and it's it's a great group movie, you know, it is. Yeah, no, I mean, they all come together in those bar scenes really well and they all have fantastic chemistry. And I love when there's that great dynamic of Begbie telling the story of the pool, what happened at the pool table and then. Tommy tells it too. I think it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's Tommy telling it. And it's, I mean, they, they know not to call Begbie on his shit because they don't want to deal with it. So they'll just talk about it after when he's not there because it's just, it's not worth it with him. And especially when you get later in that scene, I honestly, I, I love that moment when he finishes the story and tosses the mug yeah. right over him and you get the freeze uh-huh. frame and then you're like, well, hold on a second. Let's, let's see what happened on the, the, the other side of the yeah, story. Yeah, and then you get yeah, Tommy's yeah. version. And yeah, it's, again, sorry, like, so no, I was gonna say it's like, again, it's so creative and postmodern in that sense of uh, yeah, the freeze frame yep. going back in time, doing the juxtaposition of the sides of the story. I think that's just such a great introduction to Begbie. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Robert Carlyle is like on, on another fucking level in this movie, honestly, like he's just insane, but he's so good because the character is just the worst by yep. like every possible <laughs> standard. And that scene is a great way to show all of the reasons why he's terrible is because like, yeah, he starts off telling the story. So you're already kind of annoyed by him because he's telling this like self aggrandizing story about how he won at pool, you know, and, and he scared so off this in, other guy. And yeah. Scared stuff, off this other yeah. guy. And then, just by throwing the glass behind you, you're just like, Oh my God, like this guy's like actually unhinged. And then showing the other side of the story where he actually sucks and <laughs> he like beats the shit out of that other guy for no reason. Yeah. For and then potentially ruining his shot. Like, <laughs> yeah, potentially, potentially. And then he cuts back to the, the, how the glass hits this woman in the head and he tries to get out of it, but then he just, 
makes an entire oh, play. Yeah. <laughs> he just like kicks the guy in the balls and you're just like who is this character what is going on how could the, anyone yeah. possibly be around him and in that span of you know two minutes of all of that happening you know is uh tells you everything you need to know about this character and that he's, he's not to be trusted he's clearly a danger more than he is an asset to the group and he's only going to lead them into trouble and that's exactly what happens. You yep. know, it's it's really great storytelling. But what makes it interesting, I think, is the fact that he is not a, dr- uh, a heroin addict. Yes. That he's never with them when they're in the, in the Mother Superior's house or anything like that. He's always annoyed by them doing drugs. He always thinks that you're, you're killing yourself with that shite, mm-hmm. you know, as he pounds down so much alcohol right. consistently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's that scene. Well, there's it, a scene near the the deal where he's like looking at back at them all in the bus bathroom as they all take turns taking hits and definitely there's some nerves on him from his like mm-hmm. potential being arrested by the police but he you, you can tell just he hates the drugs and he tells Renton's parents you know I'm glad he's done with it you guys should have kept him away from it and then when Spud's mom comes in in the mm-hmm. bar and he's, it's your fault you shouldn't have let him do that yeah, yeah. He's just he he pushes it all on everyone else, and he's the purest asshole. And it just yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I love that that is a significant. You know, it's probably one of the most important things about his character, if not the most important thing, is that he's not mm-hmm. uh, a junkie. Like, yes, he smokes cigarettes like it's nobody's business, and oh, creates God, this yeah. ginormous pile of broken <laughs> or just crushed cigarette boxes outside the door. But he, yeah, he becomes annoyed, extremely frustrated. And I don't even think it's in a way that's sympathetic. Like, I don't think he he's not like, oh, you guys should stop doing that because I care about you. Like, I don't like it. And you're annoying me by continuing to yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Like, you're it's affecting not, me it, by doing this because it's annoying me. So stop. Yeah. Even though it will poison then, your body. Stop. Like, yeah. And again, pointing always pointing the finger at someone else saying like, you're the problem, which I mean, you know, is again, this larger commentary of the treatment of addicts and uh, the, uh, you know, the pain that they go through and what people who don't do drugs think they know about this type of situation. And, and again, I, I don't think this movie is attempting to really be like, fully that these guys are like victims, but it's clearly trying to bring about some type of sympathy for them. And I think it does so successfully again with this character and what they get them into, especially, yeah, the drug stuff at the end is like a scene out of like boogie nights. I mean, boogie nights is like, you know, on an unteeth, you know, level, of course, but just like you get this feeling of like, wow, they've like gone in like, you know, when Renton like sits down in the drug deal, he's just like, fuck, like this is, I, I don't want to be here right now. Yeah. Um, and it's, is such a great addition to the group that like, you know, again, you know, he's like the freeloader too, because you know, he, uh, the whole thing where he, uh, is like on the run for armed robbery and then goes to Renton's place. And it's just, I could not imagine living with this person. Like I just not felt so bad for, for him. Like, Oh my God. For both him and like, he has to live with him and, uh, and sick boy. Yep. And there's that shot of him, like in between their feet, like in the bed, oh, like all them yeah. sharing oh, a bed. God. It's just like, uh, I just, I, I, you can't help but feel bad for him in that situation. Yeah. You know, and I, I think struggling. that's what helps humanize, you know, you get your two sides of it. You get 
you your Begbie and your Sick Boy and you get Spud and Renton. And so while mm-hmm. they are all, I mean, Begbie's not really a junkie. He is for cigarettes and, and alcohol, mm-hmm. so I'll call him that. Um, but because you see how vile and awful these people are, yes, you do feel bad for them, even though they are these criminal junkies. And I think that that helps separate who you root for and mm-hmm. and how you feel about certain characters for sure. Let's talk Renton. Let's talk our boy, Ewan McGregor. Uh, I think he's one of, he's just such an incredibly special actor. And I don't really know, like, I think he's one that everyone can like. You know, there's something about him that uh, he is always committed. He's always such a pleasant face to see. You know, he's extremely handsome, but he always kind of just exudes this positivity. I think the fact that he's, you know, attributed to a lot of people's, you know, childhoods with being, in my opinion, the best thing about the Star Wars prequels and really the only thing that I find like easy to latch onto is being good. Like I, and I, I think because he has a big reason as to why Obi-Wan was always my favorite uh, character in, in Star Wars. Um, but he's also just really skilled. You know, we talked about Moulin Rouge uh, last year and how, you know, again, committed and like able, he, how able he was to like actually sing mm-hmm. and project that emotion throughout the scenes. He's got a beautiful voice. I, I have not he seen sings Moulin really Rouge, weird. but I've heard mm-hmm. many songs from it. And my God. Pipes yeah, of an angel, I swear. He, he, he is a really good singer. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I don't know. There's some, again, another person who can kind of move through genre like really well. Like he yeah. can be really funny. He can be really sympathetic. He can be, uh, you know, have like this darker side to him. Like in the third season of Fargo, you know, he. Uh, I've gotten that like, actually. So I'm excited to get there. I'm in season mm-hmm. two. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm it's excited. It's a great show, way. isn't it? It's really it's, good. Oh, I love it. it and now mm-hmm. the knowing that I actually did not know he was in it. So that's a much yeah. bigger sell for me to continue it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's it's season three is is him and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead are Ooh. the two um, main players in that, in that one. Uh, wow. And uh, um, David Thewlis also, uh, which is fantastic. Um, but anyway, so yeah, he's and he's perfect in this movie. You know, he lost so much weight. Uh, oh, like he lost so like, skinny. Oh my he, god, yeah, lost like thirty pounds. <laughs> he looks again. He looks jaunty. Like his hair and his skin almost become like the same color. Like, yeah, you know, in a way, they're like not that far off. That he looks sickly, cigarette yellowy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he, you know, is just kind of constantly at his wits' end. And and when even when he like tries to, you know clean his act up and you know better his life you know something always kind of like keeps him going around the bend and you know he add you add this fantastic voiceover you know throughout the movie too which is not used as a crutch you know i think it adds to again the the movement of the uh of the movie absolutely and the pacing of it because it's not just like oh, I did this or I was thinking this or I thought this and like here's more information that we can't show uh, visually because we're a low budget movie. But it adds some playful humor. It adds some good mindset. It adds um, some good like, you know, again, the choose life thing is a great just like metaphor and great, uh, you know, it's just he just has so much to do and he is having a blast. Like um, I can I can tell like even though he's being put through hell, like he's doing just so well. And he's he's in almost every. I mean, you obviously you get your other character cutaways, but he's he's in almost every like couple minutes of the movie. He's he definitely carries a lot of it. You see him more than you see anyone else, I'd say. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is. It's it's such an interesting role because I'm sure a lot of people probably came. I mean, I not I guess not, but I mean, I experienced him in Star Wars and a few other things, and then experienced him in this, and it's such a culture shock seeing him be like the dignified Obi-Wan, you know, he talks so, <laughs> he's a dignified guy. And then you jump <laughs> to this, this just junky rascal. And I think the, what encapsulates him perfectly is right in the beginning when he, he jumps over there, gets hit by the car kind of thing. And then he, he leans on the hood and gives that nice little grin to the driver. Mm-hmm. Not like a sadistic grin, just like a, Oh man, this is fun. Just kind of thing. And yeah. it's, it's just, I don't know. It gives you a really good sense of of who he is right away, and I it's this carefree guy who who's just going about life, seeing whatever happens, and making bad choices. But that's just who he is. Yeah. Well, I love how there's also. I mean, the characters also just full of contradictions. You know, oh, and they course. set that up like pretty easily. Like how he says he's going to get off it, and he like you know mm-hmm. he's like, here's all the things I got to do. You got to buy this. You got to buy this. You got to make sure you're in yeah, a his room. Encyclopedia list. Mag- magnesium yeah. milk of like he yeah. says it like but a- like, <laughs> but like he uh you know puts boards over the wall right. and he's like and then you have to get one more hit of heroin and then the next shot is like all the boards torn off the wall yep. and then he goes to his drug dealer's house which is great visual comedy again with the editing absolutely um but the fact that again i mean just you immediately you like you like him but you can tell he's going to be unreliable just the fact that the first thing we see is him sprinting down the street with his mates again you have an idea that it's they're running from something probably not good and then uh you know the constant having to go back to heroin and wanting to get off it like you know all i've said these words before um i'm done with smack you know uh and the open acknowledgement of um unreliability and uh going back on your word and that obviously echoes throughout the actual rest of the film especially in the in the third act he's just such an interesting you know uh character who gets he gets put through a lot you know and it's it's uh fun at points but also very uh you know it is harrowing at times where you're just like oh jesus like this guy's uh you don't think there's anything else they could put him through and then they and then they do you know (laughs) yeah and i think one of the the lowest moments that you think of renton is um so obviously there's the scene where uh, the baby is no longer with us. That's, mm-hmm. That is a tough yeah. scene. I forgot how long the shot is when they show it. Oh, my Yeah, when they show God, it. That, that was, one is rough. Yeah, it's rough. Um, yeah. Renton has no emotion. He goes mm-hmm. over and looks. Sick boy is, is frantic. Of course, Allison is in like head over heels just oh not head over heels excuse me um just so distraught by emotion yeah probably not head over heels um no (laughs) but ren immediately goes to take a hit Uh and allison sees this and she goes cook me one up too and he goes Uh not before me yeah and i that's a moment where that addiction truly hits even in these moments of emotion your best friend just lost her daughter and while doing drugs isn't the best thing to do after that it's me first. I am the most, I am more important than you right now when it comes to this. And that yeah. was one of those moments where you're like, damn, that's what this yeah. addiction is doing to him. Cause otherwise yeah. sometimes it's carefree. Sometimes it's fun, especially in the beginning. But that was one of the moments where I, I really stopped to think. And that one is a, it's a low point for the character, I think for sure. Well, for sure. But it also, you know, again, adds to this idea that like it, 
you get the sense like that he does care for his friends at so many other various points throughout the movie, you know, especially especially Spud. But then in that and then again in the beginning when he steals Tommy's sex tape. Yeah. You just get this sense that like, okay, well, he also is going to do bad things. And I don't say that as a flaw. It's a fundamental like choice in the in the character. And it has to be made to accentuate everything else that's going to happen. But it is. Yeah. If, if he was just going to then go and care for her and be like, oh, if like the whole story and movie stopped at that point, it would be weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's good that uh, like I, it's good storytelling that, um, you know, he does be like nope i need this more than anybody like he has his moments of um total selfishness yep you know and i think that also kind of fuels his decisions later when he's clean and he you know takes in begbie and uh, sick boy yeah. and he even says in the voiceover he's like you know i don't want to do it but they're they're my mates so yep uh and which is just again so weird and so well set up with the contradiction of the rest of the movie stealing from them and you know then starting all over again is so fascinating and is a really again it's a really it's a really good character like i i really like uh what they do with renton and again mcgregor is just like i'll watch the man in anything like i i I agree i will too i honestly i was thinking the only movie i think that he's in that i'm not like huge on is angels and Mm -hmm. demons Oh, he and, is in that, isn't and he's he? he's good in it too. There's a great scene near the end where he's like does this whole religious speech and then like lights himself on fire, and that's mm. cool. But the movie kind of isn't great. So, I only saw the first of those Da Vinci movies, and I had I was never a fan of the Da Vinci Code. Like I think that movie is it's, so it's a little it's overrated. It is. Yeah. It's it's like the it was like the next like you know Indiana Jones thing, and it's like it's, mm-hmm. it's not. It's it's just yeah. kind of this little fun little mystery history thing and tom hanks is fine but no i mm-hmm. i literally couldn't i recall like one scene from that movie maybe and i've seen it yeah. a bunch of times i i've definitely mm-hmm. seen that over five times right yeah um i'm a big fan of uh of him and big fish oh i the, I, uh, I so i caught that one later in my life too because it's Car- one of caroline's favorites and it is mm-hmm. awesome he is fantastic yeah. in it he has so yeah. much heart and just wholesomeness mm-hmm. to him that's so good yeah I love uh, I saw that movie in college in the first film analysis class that I took. And I remember uh, like that was one of those ones. And then I eventually TA'd for that class. And that was a that was a movie where no matter what else we were watching throughout the semester, that was always everyone's favorite. Everyone oh, always yeah. loved Big Fish. And, it's a good uh, movie. It, it's really yeah, it's really sweet. It's really fun. His uh, you know, he's full of love and uh, I, he does a great uh, like I think it's like Louisiana accent, I think is where he's from somewhere like deep in the South mm-hmm. there. It's a, it's yeah, that's a, that's a great movie. I, I love big fish. Um, I always, uh, one more thing with him mm-hmm. was, uh, I, I always loved the, the animated movie robots. And I oh, didn't yeah. realize that that's his yeah. voice for so long. It's, it's him and Robin Williams together, which is mm-hmm. a really just fantastic duo. And I, I think that's an underrated animated. I do like that movie. It's a funny I actually movie. Re- I rewatched that for the first time in a long time when I was at Ithaca, like spring 2019 or something like that. And we had a blast. Uh, yeah, that's there's a lot of people in that movie. Robin Williams, uh, yeah, Ewan McGregor, you got Mel Brooks. Uh, Mel Paul Brooks is in, in it. it. Yeah, lots lots of people. Greg I remember Kinnear. Amanda Bynes being in there. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, 
fucking uh drew Ca- drew carey is in it uh yeah it is it is stacked yeah i i like robots that's a good one um anyway back to train yes back to train <laughs> <Yeah. yes. laughs> um, uh i i really was taken by how the third act uh goes like and it was going in directions that i was not expecting like i like after the whole withdrawal section which again is just like oh. so anxiety inducing and you know you get the baby crawling on the wall and mcgregor's just like screaming and that's when when he uh actually cleans himself up you're just like yes yes like you did it <laughs> good okay let's 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 keep this and but again the movie deceives you in that way because you think that that is an actual possibility but like it's obviously it's not you know? cycle, yeah <laughs> yeah and uh i love the uh, you mentioned tommy earlier but i love the position of that character and what he goes through i mean obviously it's like not in a way of just like ha, 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 yes but like yeah. it's, it's it's told in a good way of how I like that he's the straight shooter, but is actually like the good care, the good side of that, yep. you know? And again, the dichotomy of that between, or the just position between him and Begbie as being the two that are, uh, you know, aren't junkies, but end up going down two different paths. One of which is, you know, leading to addiction. And then the other one is, uh, just pure hatred and disdain for, you know, those who are actually, uh, stuck in this position, which yeah. is again, interesting, um, interesting character work. But I, I, you know, you just see Tommy going down this spiral. And then when Renton goes to visit him and he like, you know, is kicking a soccer ball and he's yeah. like, Oh, do you get out much? No. Have you watched the game? No. Like he's clearly like, just like he's gone off the rails and, you know, he's just, when he disappears from the movie, you I mean, you kind of, you've, you pretty much assume why. Yeah. But then when they actually give you the explanation, you're just like, Yeah. And yeah, that makes sense. that's one thing that I, I really caught on this, this watch through was there's, I, I never, I, 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 I saw it, but I never got the impact of it, of, um, the HIV, the, they bring up the HIV it, when it mm-hmm. gets to Renton's coming clean time. Cause that's when it first gets brought up with the right. dream sequence when his parents are on the game show and they're asking yeah. what is HIV. And so and I, I just, I didn't remember that in there and I, so I find it really interesting that they never the, they never talk about it as addicts, but the parents are really concerned about it because obviously mm-hmm. they know, um, and so they want to have it. That's you, there's something you have to do. I never got that when I was watching it earlier. I was like, "What is this? What is happening here?" And I I now understand it's the whole HIV thing, and there was obviously a huge scare because of all the needles and things like that. Um, but I never I understood the impact of it because it also goes away so quick. They mm-hmm. do this thing with the HIV and they're getting clean and they say there's something you have to do. And then they bring him to bingo and then he does this little monologue of I'm negative. That's it. And it kind of just goes away fast. It's like it's not like this overarching tension that builds throughout. Yeah. It's this quick thing that they bring up. You're like, oh, that's a good point. He might have HIV. And then it just kind of goes away. But, mm-hmm. but it's obviously brought up again because of Tommy. When he visits him, he gets yeah. the I'm sorry. Obviously, that's implying that he has it after they talk about the test, but then that's not what Tommy dies from. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think I must've maybe just done a little zoning out last time I've watched this. I've seen it, I think three or four times now, but I always, I, if someone was like, how does Tommy die in train spotting? I would tell you HIV, but now I, it's toxoplasmosis, 
plasmacy, some, yeah. some long toxic sounding word mm-hmm. regarding cat poop in his apartment yeah. that he never cleaned up. And it's this, it's an interesting thing to bring up the HIV and not have any consequences regarding it. I think mm-hmm. I, it's well, not the, like it's wrong or anything like that. And, but, and obviously Tommy does have the consequences from it, but I, I think it's interesting to have retin be negative, have Tommy have it and not have him die from it. It's the, the Wikipedia description here says he died of AIDS related toxoplasmosis, but you're right that it doesn't necessarily say like HIV in the film. Oh, you know, it, it was it, maybe his, his, immunodeficiency is compromised and because that the cat uh, bacteria affects him significantly yeah. stronger so well it was actually clearly, that makes sense well i mean it was still clearly the the cat having a lot to do with it like yeah. as being the, um uh yeah i think that i'm glad that it's not this weight that hangs over the entire movie yeah that like, would I'm be glad that would that be that it but it would be it, in a movie like this, it, it would be too like telegraphed, you know, it, because it would be the one thing would, that stuck out. It, it'd be predictable too, mm-hmm. yeah, because it would be so like in this world of you know you're not sure what's going to happen next, and it's almost like detached from the rest of the world and no real connection to everyday life other than you know their parents or these other random you know characters that they run into in various scenarios. There isn't again a point where you're like oh this is definitely 1996 or this is definitely uh you know this time place and this time you know it it's it if and if there was like these constant like people handing out flyers like hey beware of hiv or going mm-hmm. to a, a clinic and talking about it there like it would be like okay well obviously one of them yes is gonna get it yep. and then you know it's gonna it, it would just be way too obvious and wouldn't it would, yeah it'd become a, a more formulaic drama at that point absolutely mm-hmm. it would feel like yeah, a pre- so predictable I'm, plot point so the fact that they it's good that they mention it like i think it makes sense that they mm-hmm. mention it and do it in the way but then yeah you're right it is just right back to immediately after their funeral or the, the Tommy's funeral, then they're talking about the two kilos right. of heroin that the they deal. came into, and now they're going to try and sell it. And there's that's that a great whole... moment. Yeah, there's this great moment mm-hmm. when Retton says, we're at this the day after, or, you know, hour after Tommy's funeral, and you're talking about doing a, a deal, and they all have mm-hmm. a break, and he's like, yeah, okay. Like, he, he has this moment of like, are you guys kidding? And then it's just like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm in. Like, it's just like this thing, you're like, oh, man, you were... We yeah. were so close. <laughs> yeah, literally. And then yeah, that becomes this whole like just journey, you know, getting on the bus and going to, uh, you know, get written to, uh, you know, give two thousand dollars. And yeah, and he has to try it. Ah, you're just watching that. You're just yeah, like, no. and it's like the, the worst reason, too. It's like they didn't trust Spud and Sick Boy was like, no. So I he was like, all right, I'll do it. And it's like, oh, man, it's that easy. Like. Mm-hmm. that's that's another moment where it and really just kind of sits in but actually yeah. i wanted to bring back up that um when they're in the house when they're talking about doing the deal that the crack house whatever that they mm-hmm. consistently do drugs in we don't see mother superior or allison ever again mm-hmm. after mother superior drops off renton and i just think yeah. it's it's really perfect for this movie to have these these chunky characters that honestly play a, a pretty they're not in it a lot, but they play a sizable role to the plot. You know, Mother Superior mm-hmm. being their main cook supplier kind of thing, and Allison just being this like mother that they know and yeah. often have relations with. It appears because they don't know who whose kid it is. Um, they're just gone. 
they they're never mentioned. Yeah. They literally never even brought up again. And I mm-hmm. I found yeah. that to be interesting. I'd never picked up on that before, but I I remember yeah. being in this house. I'm like, I think this is the last time we like the last time we see them. And yeah. I just I th- it's it's perfect of this movie to just have these things just go and not come back. I think. Yeah, they're very. It's it is very much like kind of a ghost like figure mm-hmm. that like come and go in the movie and mother superior by the way uh played by um peter mullen who most people probably know now as being uh what's what's his fucking name uh jacob snell on ozark right yes Mm -hmm. but uh yeah the whole drug deal thing at the end is uh like just a perfect way to cap everything off because again everyone's uh, view and perspective gets like brought in again mm-hmm. and how they're so on top of the world when it goes through and they get 16,000 pounds for it. And uh, you know, just at the bar, like when they're at the bar, it seems like, you know, their friendship has almost like rekindled in a way they're back to being like actual friends and laughing and drinking. And then when Renton and uh, uh, Spud are alone, then they yes. have the thought like, Oh, we, let's go take let's it. leave let's go yes. and you know of course begby causes trouble with some random dude at the bar and like almost kills him so much blood gets thrown everywhere and there's that great shot of renton like with his face on the side of the frame and you're and he's just like contemplating he's like, like i, I need I to could leave take it right now yeah. I, I can't i i can't leave now but i have to get out of here i have to it's a really and, good tension builder yeah mm-hmm. and just the waiting like he asked to Begby's like, can I get a cigarette and bring the bag? And when he smokes the cigarette, there's like two back and forth shots. And he just blows the smoke right back into, into him, yeah. right back into him, and it cuts to the the music playing. It's so good, and it's like the only slow part of the movie. And they do like such a good job of, uh, you know, again now ramping up that tension and making you feel like, oh shit, like uh, yeah, Ren's got to go, but is he going to be actually be able to? get out yeah. like you're hoping but you don't know like even with 10 minutes left in this movie you don't know what's <laughs> going to happen like that's insane uh and the fact that he's actually able to get the money out of begby's hands when i know he's sleeping is like kind of unbelievable but at the same time you're just like okay but i i want him to leave i'll i'll accept it you that's know? like a classic <laughs> movie trope real moment thing right there is like taking the the bag of something or mm-hmm. you know, a precious thing out of someone's hands and he does it very easily honestly i think uh-huh. he kind of just like lifts it and it's it's pretty pretty simple to get it out of begby's hands mm-hmm. and I, honestly and... it gets me thinking about um well the drug deal is is one of the least movie drug deals ever it's the it's like so inconsequential almost and to the drug dealer he's like i whatever this is another day i'm gonna scam mm-hmm. these guys he brought like what like twenty four thousand dollars or something like that yeah. and he's like i can't do i can't do more 20 than 15 or yeah. more than 15 yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and it's it's the least exciting drug deal of any movie Honestly, it yeah. happens so quick and it's this this little thing, but it, it has so much power uh, yeah. over the rest of them. And honestly, it's the first time you see Begbie like not looking like he's in charge. He actually mm-hmm. plays it really well. I was I was like I had to, I rewinded a, a first time to watch his face during it because you can see him when he's handing the money. He has this really good expression of like, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. Mm-hmm. Like an intern on his first day at like a company. It's on it. He, he yeah. looks so nervous and it's a, it's really good to see that emotion from him. But then, I mean, I mm-hmm. soon we get into the bar 
things up for her. I mean, he's got this confidence now and obviously shoves the glass right into the guy's yeah. mouth to they show it for like a split second, but you can like mm-hmm. oh it's it's really yeah. really visible. Because then it the blood mixed with the beer, it's just this red this liquid ball, that's ever yeah, and he him. like when he kicks him in the face, it like just splatters like all over, just like Jesus Christ. And it, for a movie that's like really not that bloody, like that scene is when there's like, blood, it's blood. Like when the oh, yeah. mug gets thrown over, that woman's face is covered mm-hmm. in blood. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's rough. It is rough. Um, and then you know, obviously, just leaving, uh, you know, getting the money, leaving uh the twenty thousand for Spud, you mm-hmm. know, in place of the passport and walking off into the like out of focus like saying you know this is i'm gonna do this i'm gonna choose life and all this is such a great ending uh and i think a great way to segue into the uh analyze this section because i think there's some interesting takeaways Mm -hmm. uh to uh to get from this movie i think this is a great ending for this character like again i love the idea of it all coming full circle like, yes, it's not like he necessarily starts in the exact same physical location, but the fact that he steals from his friends is perfect. Yes. Like that fits <laughs> perfectly in with what everything that's happened before. And yes, he leaves a little bit for Spud because they're friends and he cares about him. But, you know, the the impression that you're left with is not that he's actually going to choose life or like actually do anything better. Like, again, I don't know how the sequel goes. I don't really care at this point, but like I I like the idea that it's implied or at least, you know, you can infer that he's going to do something along these lines again. He may not do heroin again, but this cycle of, uh, you know, self uh, like fighting for yourself and, you know, doesn't matter, like getting out of certain situations against like what other people think, I think is going to constantly uh, stick with him. Yeah, and I think that's also, uh, you know, a tribute to who he is. You know, as a person, mm-hmm. he might find himself with another group in between the time between now and Train Spying Two. That you know, tr- you know, he does the same kind of things. He might fight, might fall down the same things. And yes, while he might not do heroin again, it is this cycle of destruction into self-resurrection to reparations and things like that. And it's yeah, it's a and I'm honestly T two does bring that up because it is him fighting away from Begbie and then them kind of coming together in an end. And I don't remember how it ends. So I, yeah, I got to watch the movie again, honestly, because I mm-hmm. really now I'm the end talking about the end of this is getting me thinking. Cause I don't think they meet. I don't think he, he talks to sick boy or Spud or them until all these years later, but I could be mm. wrong. So I guess that makes sense. Like, cause you do like, you do just think that he, you know, just it's just walking off to wherever yeah it doesn't really matter where he ends up going because yeah he'll he'll meet more people he'll find something else to focus on he'll get another job and it's just going to feed his habit um you know it may hold him off for a little while which Mm -hmm. is again the same thing that happens in this move then when you see him getting a job like when he gets that job at like the real estate firm or whatever the fuck it is it's like holding everything down for just a just a short period of time (laughs) just a just a little bit and then, you know, once his friends get back, you can tell that, you know, everything then just gets flipped on its head. So even though he may not, in theory, like even if T2 explains this, like if he doesn't see this specific group again for 20 years, he'll find something else. Absolutely. But there's also something like when you say it like that, 
it feels or it like it kind of has this impact of or this thought of you know hopelessness that it's he's just going to continue this cycle of like terrible behavior or just living this terrible lifestyle but the way that it's directed with the music and the again mcgregor walking like out like closer to the camera and out of focus is really great and how he just kind of blurs into his reality is really awesome but again it's the perfect note to end on because you kind of leave being like yeah you know like in this yeah it's not as depressing as it could have been of course (laughs) no because again you do feel like he like part of the more the part of you is still like he got away from those shitty friends yeah like he got out of there but did it in the ways that his character was set up so like there's no real like i guess the arc is that he ended up choosing like himself rather than like everyone else but like it's fitting still like i think that everything that was set up in the beginning with him stealing and with him like doing things selfishly or doing uh you know perpetuating this negative behavior and like not really being able to break that habit all is rooted in this final decision yeah and i love how it leaves it open-ended where now that he's gone from these influences will he be the same person will he follow this same path and i think that's like a, the perfect open-endedness for it and i also think that the extended version of the choose life monologue in here mm-hmm. works so well because it has obviously the the choose life choose a car choose a job all these things and then it goes into choose like a luxury something like it just goes into this dreamlike world of things you can buy mm-hmm. and it almost kind of seems like he's just spouting off things he's heard of at one point that he wants to own that thinks will just give you happiness and thinks will make your life mean something and have purpose so he's just rattling off these expensive luxuries that only the happiest of people can afford quote unquote yeah i think it it works really well with the uh, the open-endedness of it and while i don't think the second movie ruins anything i think that it might not have been might not have been needed I mean, it just mm-hmm. ends in such a, a perfect way from all of it. And yeah. I, I mean, I just, could you imagine if, you know, they wake up and Begbie's gone with the money? That would be like the worst ending ever. I'd be yeah, so yeah, mad. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. You need to end with the main character. Um, I think what you said about what he talks about in the monologue is really great. Like, I totally agree that is this kind of choosing fantasy or the uh, proposed idea of what success and what, um, you know, the free will in life can actually lead to yeah. when again he has no real idea as to what that is or how to get it or like what he's actually going to do like realistically he's probably just going to you know blow that money on the either like the absolute or absolute non-essentials you know yeah. essential or non-essential like living condition like just like getting a place and but not actually getting like those luxurious and which is fine because obviously you know the character hasn't been this guy who's like fond over luxury yeah you know like he's he hasn't been like that's not part of his character but what he is saying again is stuff that either he's heard before or like he just doesn't have an actual frame of reference or like knowledge of himself like what he actually wants Yeah. yeah or what he is chasing yeah that it doesn't matter what it is because again, just solidifying, it's going to be the exact same thing that we just saw and it's not going to be any different. And yeah, like, like we said, that could be really depressing, but it's perfect. Yeah. Like I, I, I think it's a great ending. I, I love it. Um, do you have any, uh, big like 
takeaways from uh, the ending of the movie as a whole of like, what do you think like, is you're supposed to be left with like as a message um, when you finish it? Like, I think we already like, you know, talked about obviously that the idea that this is not a promotion yeah. for this lifestyle, but I do appreciate that the producers were saying that, you know, in order to show how bad this is, we also have to show how fun, how much fun yeah. these characters are having. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a great audience to character interaction that way. So do you have any other like big takeaways from it? Like, what do you, I, what, I what does this movie leave you with? It It's that, that sense of, of who Renton is at the end that sticks with me mm-hmm. most, because obviously you see him constantly trying to get better. And he, as we talked about, he has these low points with like the baby death and all these other things where he takes his selfish needs over other people. But in the end, he takes the money from Begbie. He gives some, there's a look he gives Spud right as he leaves. That's like this moment of like, I'm so sorry. I'm leaving you here with this. I I'm, and he, he gives like a, like a, I'm going to do what I can kind of thing. And obviously he does with a little bit of money, but you can see it in his eyes that he he's sad about it. He is feeling something for his friend. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different seeming from when we first saw him in the beginning when it didn't seem like he cared about anything. He does have something to care about and he does do something good for someone. So I think he's on his way. And I, I just, the thing that sticks with me most is, yeah, I, I, I think just who he will become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love that look that he gives Spud. Like, of course, Spud is the one who's, you know, awake mm-hmm. in that of moment. Course, yeah. And uh, yeah, I like that. Not only does, you know, Renton give back this look of it's not like I'm sorry, but he's just like, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. And Spud's like, no, but he's not going to wake anybody. He knows he's not going to like snitch. He's not going to do anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that, you know, again, obviously, you know, you just watch this and you're just like, this is clearly a horrible uh, situation. Yeah. And it's just something that you never want to find yourself in. And but to just indulge it in an entertaining way is like enough. Yeah. You know what I mean, like you you I find solace and obviously knowing that like this is a work of fiction and that, you know, it's probably you know, obviously based in probably some realism. But the style, the style and the dialogue and just the. Um, abrasive nature of the movie and the characters and just the setting is fascinating. Absolutely. Um, All right. Well, we've talked so much about this movie. It is time to answer the final question. This is the first time I've actually gotten to ask you this because last time we talked about, uh, you know, holiday movies, but this is a big broader one. So um, the question that we ask in the end of all these standalone episodes is, if you could summarize in, a, in one way, why do you love this movie and how does it add to your love of movies? That was a really good question. I think that this is a perfect collection of tons of different emotions and genres um, all put together with great acting, fun moments, iconic moments and some really big highs and lows that are so memorable, but also just remind you to never do heroin in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because it is the worst thing in the world, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just kind of a carefree nature that sticks with you too a little bit. And this adds to my love of movies because I honestly tend to not like plotless movies. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of the ones that 
tend to come my way that are um, very popular. I tend to really, I don't know, I just don't connect with some of them. Sometimes I, I really need something to motivate me to get into a plot like that. And sometimes if there's just nothing to grab onto, I'll just lose interest. But for as quick paced and as wacky as this is, it's got just so much memorability from it in your characters and your scenes. And for as mm-hmm. low budget as it is, I mean, gosh, there's just, it's, it's, I, I think memorable is definitely one of the, the, the strongest words I can use for this one because <laughs> I mean, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's some scenes I don't think I'll ever forget. And it's mm-hmm. just got this really great sense of style that I think Danny yeah. Boyle brings really well. And obviously I love Ewan McGregor. So it's just mm-hmm. this, this great collection of things that while I don't tend to love them on their own, bring together to this really awesome amalgamation of crime, comedy, drama, all over the place. And mm-hmm. when you compare it to things like Requiem for a Dream, I don't want to watch Requiem for a Dream again. It's mm-hmm. so traumatizing and it's so brutal. Yeah. And uh-huh. it has some of the same messages, but you know, when you look at something like this, I could watch this every week for the rest of my life, and I think I'd always yeah. find something new, and I don't think I'd get sick of it. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful answer. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree that it. Uh, I f- would find myself to return to this film yeah. again. Like I was excited to revisit this as, yeah, as a full again, like as a as a full like first full rewatch, but. I knew that the parts that I had remembered, I was excited to see again in the larger context. And I know that going back to it will still be a fun ride. Uh, For me is the fact that um, the thing that I really love and that is kind of inspiring is that it it was made for so little and they just do so much with what they were given. And not only just with style of the camera and the movement, but how they manipulate space, like the uh, not just also just not the, the colors, but some of the ways that they've, manipulate the set like i mean the toilet scene where he oh yeah the way he climbs in there looks so real or the when he's overdosing and he kind of like lowers himself like like a coffin yeah kind of Mm -hmm. thing yeah and they use that view throughout like the entire time he's uh ODing, and even when he's like uh overdose or not over going through withdrawal yeah, you know, the he's in his, his bedroom stretching the, down. Yeah, they're stretching out that way. Or like you can kind of tell like when the baby's on the ceiling, like the track that it's yes, on. Yes, But it doesn't make it any less creepy. No, yeah, that, it honestly works better, I feel like. Um, And the fact that, you know, I mean, obviously, the, you know, the movie was distributed by Miramax and they were able to get uh, a lot of funding from Channel 4. But it's uh, impressive how like nothing feels out of place. Nothing feels like oh you know at no point am i like oh it's the it's this way because it's low budget or yeah, it's like oh exactly. they don't have enough money you so can they never couldn't tell. Dis- there's no shortcomings like everything and i mean it's not a story that calls for like visual effects no. or anything like that but like everything feels lived in everything feels like you know real yeah like i mean real in a sense that like it feels authentic there's to the nothing film, that you takes know? you out of the immersion like sometimes yeah, if you uh-huh. see the bad green screen you see weird cgi it's like oh you're very aware you're watching a movie this i mean yeah. with those you know the carpet scenes the 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 getting clean it's it's just it feels real it looks real and it's for as low budget as it's yeah it's really impressive that they're managed to to get all that done because it it looks great it has such an yeah. impact too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, well, this has been a wonderful episode. Yeah, Tyler. this is a ton of fun. Of joining. course. Um, 
definitely uh you are welcome back anytime that means a lot yeah i'd I'd be a bummer if you kicked me off after this one but you know i'm (laughs) glad i at least got my my thoughts in on train spotting so (laughs) absolutely well thank you my friend of course yes that does it for this episode of frankly i love movies huge thanks to tyler for coming on the show i always love having him on it's always great to talk to him If you like the show, please remember to give a rating, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. You can also follow the show on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Frankly I Love Movies, and Twitter at Frankly underscore podcast. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21. Next week, the show continues with another diary entry. I will be covering the films that I logged on Letterboxd for the first half of October, so October 1st through the 15th. And then the following week, I'll have another standalone episode up for you guys for the spooky season with my friend Alex Coburn talking about the Japanese film House or Houseu. Very excited about that. It was a really wonderful conversation. So be sure to check out those episodes when they drop. So until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.